Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. This morning, um, I want to share uh, with you on this. Um, in all my years in the church, I don't believe I've ever heard a sermon on the Jewish feasts. Maybe some of you have. Um, and I said, Lord, why, why is that? And as Gentiles, uh, there's been some reasons possibly behind that. One, uh, there's this maybe a, a little bit of separation between Jew and Gentile, which Paul certainly deals with that in the book of Galatians and history of the law in the Old Testament, New Testament. But there's also some false teaching that is rampant, and it's actually only come out in the last couple of hundred years, and really in the last 25 to 30 years, it's ramped up to the point where now you have whole denominations that are boycotting Israel. You've heard of the BDS movement, you can go on and look at it, but there's even people in our Congress that are saying, look, we need to cut ourselves off from Israel, we don't need to be supporting them, in fact, we need to go the opposite way. There's a spirit that's behind that, and it's called replacement theology. And of recent late date, they've tried to dress that up because they realize that's a, not a really great term that they like. So they are now coining the phrase fulfillment theology. And uh, we're going to uncover that a little bit this morning. That's the spirit that is behind some of the teaching. It actually fuels an anti-Semitic spirit. If you've been looking at anything in the news about what's happening to Jewish people in both Israel, not only in Israel from the Orthodox Jews, but also in New York where there's the largest population of Jews outside of Israel, and then also in other places in Europe. It's become dangerous again, and that same anti-Semitic spirit that rose in the the late 39, 40s, which uh, gave rise to the Nazis, is now alive. And the pogroms that have occurred throughout history with Israel, that same spirit is existing, but it's alive today, and as Christians, we need to understand what that spirit is. And so, we're going to talk, I'll define it for you, what is replacement theology or, quote, fulfillment theology. But the definition of that is covenant Israel has lost its place with God because of her disobedience, and the church has completely and permanently replaced Israel before God. Telling the church, forget Israel, they're done, that's a spirit that gives rise to the hatred. When you look at um, why the churches during the rise of the Nazis, why the church was silent, except for people like Bonhoeffer and others who gave their lives, right? And so, we cannot be silent. We will not be silent about this. It's a spirit, and we need to understand that because if you negate that, if you believe that lie, you start, it's, it's subtle and it's, it's, it seeps in. If you believe that lie, then you'll give root to an unbelieving spirit. I'm going to uncover this biblically for you. But as the Bible-believing Christians, we believe the Word, right? We believe that the Bible is true, that it's accurate, its timetable and its prophecy are given by God, and we actually order our lives by it. Turn with me. I know this is a familiar scripture, but we're going to look at it. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.16. This is one of those 3.16 verses, like John, but this one is in 2 Timothy 3.16. You ought to memorize it. Because this is one you will encounter when people come against you. 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to read it in both New Living and the King James. Let me read the King James first. All Scripture, somebody say all, All. is given by God, inspiration of God, and profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, let me give you the new living. All Scripture, somebody say all, All. is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in your life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we as Bible believe, you've been here any length of time and you stayed here, you know that this is the foundation, right? We believe in the scriptures and all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, and I love what last week was such a great conference. Oh my gosh. But when Daniel uh, Newton said, you know, this, and he even wrote a book on the tension that's in scripture. 
And there are things you can find scripture and tension, and God purposefully puts that tension in there so you'll search your heart in, in understanding and relationship with him. What are you saying, God? Well, there's some other verses, too, that deal with this. In 2 Timothy, we read that. That was on 120. But then Peter writes this. You don't need to look, turn here, but 2 Peter 120. Prophecy in scripture was not from human initiative. Prophecy in scripture was not from human initiative, but by prophets inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's Peter. Let me give you another one from Paul in Romans. Romans 15, verse 4. Things written in Scripture long ago were to teach us, and the Scripture gives us hope, amen, and encouragement, praise God, as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. These are the appointed times. I'm setting you up. So this is where he tells us that there are appointed times and seasons in God. So if you look at, turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, I believe that part of this false doctrine of replacement theology, fulfillment theology, was one of the warnings Paul told us about when he told Timothy, his spiritual son. So if you look at 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, I think we're living in the last times? That's a very specific season. King James says, the latter times. Ezekiel talks about it in the latter days, when you start to see these things, right? Now, the Holy Spirit tells us that in the last time, some will turn away. Some will turn away. Some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive. They'll follow deceptive spirits and the teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites, liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong to be married. Hello. More people living together than are married today. Never had that in history that I know of. So when we see this, the rise of the Jewish-hating spirit, there is, if you can negate the scriptures, if you can avoid, or maybe not know the scriptures, if you can negate this, then you can be led astray in these demon spirits. They're deceiving, seducing spirits. I like what my brother Leif Hetland says. says, the problem with seduction is you don't know you're being seduced. Or deceiving, you don't know that you're being deceived, right? That's deception. I think I'm right, but you're not. <laughs> and so... Wow, deceiving spirits. That's why we need the gift of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. He gives us this ability to have knowledge, to have wisdom, and to have discernment, right, in these latter days. Okay. Well, in Genesis 12, 3, you remember this scripture? Those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel. So everyone that bless. Everybody shake your head. Yes. That's in there. He told that, right? So everyone that blesses, you show me a, a nation that has hated Israel, and where are they today? Show me one. Okay? Now, when our prior administration, we just had lights, something happened. Okay. When we had the prior administration, did you like the fact that when our prior administration acknowledged Jerusalem and moved our... Our embassy to Jerusalem, did you like that? I did. Did you like the, the acknowledgement of the Golan Heights and the, and the direction? Did you like all the Arab nations that were finally making relationship and peace was in on, its, on its way? So when we look at that, how do you like your inflation now? Gas prices, grocery, yep, you look at the price of meat lately? I'm telling my grocery bill, good, do you... Um, how about the stupid political decisions that are being made? When people don't know God, they'll be ignorant, okay? They'll make bad decisions. They don't have the mind of Christ. Not all of them, but how about lawlessness, injustice, double standards? These are things that are promised for those who walk. Go ahead and just this week read Deuteronomy 28. The first 28 verses are the blessings to those who are in covenant with God. Those who love Israel, do the word. And then the rest of it is double the number of curses. You'll be a debtor nation. What do we owe now? 29 trillion. How much do we owe? How much do each one of you and your grandchildren owe right now? Come on. This is, we have lost our way. America has lost its way. 
And we as the people of God have to come to that place where recognizing what the Word says and get back on track, but stay in the ark of Jesus and you'll be okay. Don't let fear come on you, right? Now, there's some really ugly, I'm, I'm probably going to make some of you really not feel good in a minute here. How sick and evil is some of this leadership stuff that's going on? I want to read you an article from the Satanic Temple in, in uh, Texas. Quote, this is from the National File this week. One, we praise God. Texas decided that the heartbeat law was passed. And our Supreme Court, over, the, over those who don't believe it, even the liberal justices were disappointed. But the Supreme Court stood behind the Texas state decision of the heartbeat law. That if you are pregnant, you cannot terminate a pregnancy. It's now against the law if you terminate that because that heartbeat is a child. Now, our president came out and he, which is contrary, does not believe that conception is the beginning of life. That was this week, which is contrary to his own faith. So I don't know where that comes from. That's certainly not biblical anywhere. All children are a gift from God. Conception, God gives life, right? Regardless of how it gets there, that's how God decided it. Well, here's what the satanic, this is sick. And we got to pray against this. You ought to get angry at this. When the certain Satan worshipers start to agree with liberals and others in pre-choice, we know something is way off, right? Satanic Temple says that satanic abortions are protected by religious liberty laws. Texas abortion laws violate religious rights. These new abortion laws take effect. Satan worshipers now condemn the new law as an attack on their religious liberties. The Texas law banning abortions after six weeks has caused widespread outrage among Democrats, liberal voters, now the devil worshipers, who are arguing that the law violates their rights. The September 2nd Twitter post, the Satanic Temple said, abortion laws in Texas violate our rights to have a legal abortion. The separation of church and state and the right for women to stand up to kill their unborn children is our right. It's disgusting. The Satanic Temple stands ready to assist any members of the deeply held religious convictions regarding the right for their reproductive freedoms. Accordingly, we encourage any member who resides in Texas and wishes to undergo a satanic abortion ritual within 24 weeks of the pregnancy will contact the satanic temple and we will help you. The devil worshiper practiced this thing which is called the religious abortion ritual. The ritual may be performed by members as a way, listen to this garbage, to fortify self-worth, to instill confidence and to provide spiritual comfort according to the temple's organization. What they do is they abort a child and then they sacrifice it to Satan. This name, I don't know what now. And if that doesn't aggravate you to the point where you're going to pray in Jesus' name, I don't know what will. This is demonic. It's sick. It's part of what's spoken here by Paul to Timothy. Along with the devil worshippers, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi declared Texas abortion ban, I quote, condemning the Supreme Court for its cowardly decision to uphold a flagrantly unconstitutional assault on women's rights and health. Speaker Pelosi has also designated, signaled her support for Congressman Judy Chu, Women's Health Protection Act, to enshrine into law reproductive health for women across America. They're going to try to make this a law. So you need to pray with, along with all of us that this is the crazy, this is what's going on in, in our government. So if you're not happy about pray, 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 and come to the tent. <laughs> there are appointed times. The Lord is dropping the, the, the separation between the sheep and the goats. And the question is, is America going to be in Matthew 25 or not on the right side of this? When he separates the nations, the sheep nations and the goat nations, and he separates his people, the sheep from the goats. I know that's intense. I, I'm not apologizing. If that you believe that the Bible is the word of God, here's another term I want you to understand. Again, I'm laying down some discipleship notes so you're equipped to be able to argue these things and stand up and know where truth is. If you're a Bible believer, I could probably say most of us are or you wouldn't be here, then you have a biblical worldview. 
in the beginning God, right? Then you are called a dispensationalist. Say that with me, dispensationalist. I am a dispensationalist? Uh, Yeah. And you are not necessarily a covenant theologist. Well, what's the difference, Pastor? Well, I got a couple of articles here that this, again, gets into the whole definition. The various forms and justification of replacement theology and the fulfillment theology. Where, remember, there's no, forget about Israel. Those people are lost. This is what replacement theology says. They're lost. We've replaced them. They'll never be any place in the scriptures. And when this started with the Calvinists back in the, back in the day, they said there, there is no Israel. There's no political Israel. Well, guess what? 1948 happened. Now, you go read Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39, plus all the, many of the, the minor prophets, we're going to quote one of them, Zechariah, they prophesied this exactly would happen, that Israel would become back as a state. Jesus said, on the day when they come back, when you come back, right, prepare. Even though 70 years from now, when he would told them that on the Mount of Olives that he made, that there would be a day when Israel would become a nation. And you know that. So here's some various forms of replacement theology. He's first of all allowed us to come in. Now, a dispensationalist believes two things. That's why I think most of us, I consider myself that. One, there's a consistent literal interpretation of Scripture, especially Bible prophecy. Do you believe the Bible in prophetic words? Okay, then check. Um, that there's a uniqueness in Israel as separate from the church, but in God's program. Check. Okay, so if you believe those two things, you are a dispensationalist. Now, what does that mean? Let's go deeper. There's a whole article on, if you want to bore yourself on various replacement theologies and all the craziness that's happening. But then what is a dispensationalist, and is it biblical? A dispensationalist is a way of ordering things, administrating or a system, a management of theology, It's a divine administration. It's kind of how to look at things. It's a divinely appointed age. That's what a dispensation is. A divinely, because I'm getting to the point where when we look at the feast days and the appointed times, you're going to see that there are divinely appointed ages and times that are ordained by God, and they order the affairs of the world. Now, if you are a dispensationalist and you are a literal interpreter of the Bible, then you know hermeneutics is the best way to define. We, we talked about this on Wednesday night about how to define where we are as believers in the gifts. Literalism is the best way to view Scripture. Dispensational theology teaches that there are two distinct peoples of God, Israel and the church. Dispensationalists believe that the salvation has always been by grace, in faith alone, in both Old Testament and New, and God specifically through God's Son in the New Testament, dispensationalists hold that the church has not replaced Israel. God's program and the Old Testament promises Israel has not been transferred to the church, but promises God has made Israel in the Old Testament. Both the land, their descendants, will be ultimately fulfilled. If you're a dispensationalist, you'll read the scripture and you'll say, thousand year reign in Revelation 20, said, it's a thousand years. Right? So we believe that. It's what God shows us in scriptures. And, that's, and so if you look at Daniel 9, 29, we'll look there now. You look at, we're gonna, we are going to look at Romans 9 in a minute. But dispensationalists understand the Bible is organized in seven dispensations or seven eras, seven ages, if you like it, right? The first one was innocence in the garden. So this, then he established human. Then there was the age of conscience in Genesis 3 through 8. Then he established human government, another dispensation season. Then the promise. Then he gave the law to Moses. Then he released grace through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then there's the millennial kingdom. Those are the seven dispensations or ages or seasons that he relates to man with. And the pattern has always been in any of those ages, there's a responsibility of individuals, your free will, There's always that challenge of failure and repentance, judgment, and then grace. Those are the dispensations. So it's a system that results most 
dispensationalists. Now, some of you can be, I'm a dispensationalist, but I don't believe in the pre-trib or the mid-trib. Or post. We're all over the map on that. I said, that's not a hill we'll, we'll die on. That's a hill we'll just bleed on together. And you'll find out that when they comes for the church in the pre-trib, we're out of here. Usually, usually pre, uh, dispensationalists believe in the, in the pre-trib rapture of the church, but not always. And so that's okay. You can have your opinion. So this you say, I'm a dispensationalist. Wow, say that twice over coffee, right? Okay, um, I want us to take a look at, turn, turn to your hand out. Page 27, it's good, Pat, thank you. I love you. The feasts of the Lord, Leviticus 23, God instituted seven holidays. I actually like the word my wife did, holy days, but the, they call them holidays in, in Israel. Instituted seven holy days. The Hebrew word that's translated feast means appointed times. God himself, let's, uh, let's go down. God himself orchestrates the sequence of timing of these feasts. You're going to see how amazing this is to the day, right? The four feasts, the four original, the first four free feasts that the Lord spoke of to the day orchestrated Jesus' first coming, to the day. That ought to give you indication that the remaining three feasts are to the day of the second coming of Christ. And the trumpet blast, we're gonna, we're gonna dig into this over the next week or two. God himself orchestrates the timing of these feasts. Each feast is part of his whole plan. So we're not trying to become Jews. We're not going to go back into orthodoxy. Paul tells us in Galatians 3, who has bewitched you? Why are you going back under the law when you've been free, right? And so there's this whole battle. The um, kosher, Mr. Peter sees the, the, the sheet come down, and he deals with all of the, the um, kosher stuff, and then he meets Cornelius and goes back to Jerusalem and says, I don't think we should put all this stuff on our new Gentile believers. And then they go through this description and decide, you're right. Circumcision is not necessary, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't go back under the law. He says, you're free, so don't go back under control and manipulate. So we're not trying to go back under control. We want to walk in freedom, but we're not going to set aside God's appointed times and miss it, and we're not going to set aside Israel because they're part of the plan. In fact, they are your brothers and sisters, you're the wild bunch. You're the wild branch. And you've been grafted into the same tree. That's why you cannot read Romans 9, 10, and 11 and get there anywhere else. And we're going to read it. Because when they talk about replacement, when you sit down, well, you know, we believe the church has replaced uh, Israel. Oh, really? Have you read uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11? No. Well, let's read it together. And then you tell me how you got there. Because if anybody's preaching that, they are preaching error. All right. God himself orchestrates these. Outline number one. Each feast is part of the whole plan. They are holy convocations. That's a fancy word. That intended times of meeting between God and man. For what reason? For holy purpose. These appointed times carry with them great sacredness and solemnity. These feasts were given to the Hebrew nation, his covenant people, and we Christians are grafted in. We'll look at that in a moment, Romans eleven seventeen. These seven feasts relate to Israel's spring and fall agricultural season, and they remain today. The timing of these feasts are based on the Jewish lunar calendar of 354 days per year. But seven times every 19 years, <laughs> the modern-day Jewish calendar has 13 months to make up a shorter year. So this is the reason they don't, it's here, they're starting there, you got time zones, but okay. The seven feasts, number eight, the seven feasts coincide with the major events of kingdom significance. If you could ever just grasp anything, circle number eight, because these feasts, when they f follow to the exact day, that's why really would be good, I suggest, to be in the tent and tabernacles because if he were to come back, be a nice place to be. Huh? As opposed to 
watching some ugly flick at home. I'm just saying. The seven feasts coincide with the major events of the kingdom's significance. They commence with going to the cross at Passover and climax at the establishment of the kingdom with the Messiah's second coming at Tabernacles. All humanity has been invited to meet with God and receive the blessing. We Gentiles have been grafted into the promise given Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Seven is the biblical number for perfection and completion. We shared this morning, eight is the new beginnings. So we just, we know that something new is beginning. The four of the feasts occur in the spring of the year and were the fulfillment in Jesus' first coming. Their history. The three final feasts occur in the fall and depict Jesus' second coming, soon to be fulfilled. We list the seven feasts. Now there's a challenge here because sometimes you'll see they use a Jewish word, then there's multiple names or titles for these feasts. But if you look at Leviticus 23, which we'll look at in a minute, Passover, Pesach, the Hebrew names, unleavened bread, matzah, first fruits, Sepharit Hehomar, which is a measure or your first fruits. They gave their first fruits offering. Jesus was the first fruit of many, remember? Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, or booths. So let's turn to Leviticus 23, and let's just kind of take a highlight of some of those that are listed there. The anointed festivals, New Living calls them. These are what was given to Moses. Give the following instructions, Leviticus 23.1. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel for the Lord's appointed festivals, which are to proclaim official days of holy assembly. Look down at, pay, at uh, number uh, verse 5. Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown, the 14th day of the first month. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. Now that, you, you realize unleavened bread, what that represents, right? There's no, there's no additives to it. It's pure, right? It was, um, it was a place where no decay, but if you don't eat it soon, that's right. Remember the showbread had to be replaced because it was in the offering in the most holy of holy places. You're going to see the contrast between what the Lord did in the Old Testament and what he did in the fulfillment of the New Testament in Christ. So there's no separation. Jesus was Jewish, right? <laughs> Hello? Okay. So, yeah, shake your head. I got it. Uh, next, look at verse to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I'm giving you and the harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from your first cutting of your grain harvest on that day, after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord and make it ex acceptable in, on your behalf. It's a special gift, and there's another offering. So there's the, it is the first fruits, right? Is that place of number three there on your handout. That's the first fruits. The festival of the harvest, verse 15, right? The festival of weeks or Pentecost. We know that from Acts chapter 2. From the day of the Sabbath the day, bring a bundle of grain and lift it to special offering. Seven full weeks. Keep counting. Remember when from Jesus' death and resurrection, 50 days, right, before that ascension. We see that in Acts chapter 1. Again, perfect fulfillment of the timing of these. And so that special gift is a pleasing aroma. The priest will lift it up. Verse 20, the priest will lift it up as... Uh, up the two lambs as a special offering to the Lord. These offerings which the, are holy to the Lord belong to the priest. Then festival of trumpets, number 23, verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. On the first day of the appointed month in early autumn, you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day of an holy assembly Day commemorated with a loud blast of the trumpet. You must do no ordinary work on that day, and you are to present a special gift to the Lord. Then there's the Day of Atonement. We'll, we'll kind of unpack this even more for you in a minute. The Lord said to Moses, be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of the same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets. You must observe it on the official day for Holy Assembly, a day to deny yourself and present special gifts to the Lord. Do no work. 
during that entire day because it is a day of atonement when offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with God, the Lord your God. Pop down to verse 33, the festival of shelters, Sukkot, tabernacles, right? Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the festival of shelters on the 15th day of the appointed month, five days after the day of atonement. The festival to the Lord will last for seven days. On that first day of the festival, you must proclaim an official day of an holy assembly when you do no ordinary work for seven days and must present special gifts to the Lord. Lots of gifts going to the Lord, right? <laughs> and in that place of atonement and asking the Lord. Then he goes on and says, these festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's uh, regular Sabbath days and the offerings in the addition to your personal gifts and offering. They're volunteering offerings to present to the Lord. So we see in Leviticus, so back to your outline, you see the seven feasts, the Passover. You remember that time when Jesus, uh, he told the disciples that he had longed to have this Passover meal. And he told the two disciples, go into Jerusalem, you'll find a man carrying a water jug. Many believe that was John Mark, right? Um, and so he says he's prepared to tell him that the Lord has come and wants to have this supper with him. So the room, the upper room, some of us have been in Israel, believe that's the location of the upper room. David's bones are, are buried below, right? We've been there and we sang hallelujah. I mean, it was like, whoa, this room is like, whoa. Yeah, what Neil was saying is in Israel, the Jewish believe, the rabbis believe that's exactly where Pentecost came down because David's bones are there, right? Right, they would have come and honored David at that place, so, yep. And, and so as you go up above that place, which obviously is there, there's the upper room. Before, he's an Old Testament Holy Spirit-filled guy, Amen. And so we see that um, in the Passover, Jesus said, I want to prepare this. I want to have, I've longed to have this Passover meal with you. So he's the, we know he's the Passover lamb. There's the fulfillment. Remember back, the, the, the angel of death is going to come, put the blood on the lentils of your door, tell your family to stay inside. If you're in Jesus under the blood of Jesus, you are safe. He's the Passover lamb. The angel of death can no longer come. So see the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the new. And so then we see he's the unleavened bread. He was the, remember he said in John 6 and drove a lot of folks away, he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you're no longer part of, you can't be part with me. Now they didn't understand what he was saying is, I am the broken body. I am the bread of life. Remember he said, I am the bread of life. He who eats this shall live. So again, all of these uh, analogies of Old and New Testament merging together, and you'll see them in the fulfillment of the festivals. That's why we as Gentiles, we got to get this. This is really, these are important times. It's kind of like, if you forgot your child or your spouse's birthday or your anniversary, guys, that's not a good thing, right? So just, that's a, it's a natural analogy of, let's, let's remember the important days, right? Okay. Um, so, turn with me to the next page. I want us to unpack this more because I, I want you to have a biblical basis of what I'm talking about. So, if you get into, well, no, we don't need to be with the Jews. Why would we, why would we want to support Israel? Well, th some of our president, we think of Harry S. Truman. Imagine that. When the president dies in office during World War II and the vice president has to take over. And through the creation of the of nuclear weapons, whether you look at that, I've studied that when we did the ethics of war, when I was a GE guy, I went to war college at Carlisle, Pennsylvania with a bunch of lieutenants from the army and then went out to, to uh, Fort Irwin. There's no ethics of war. How can war have, I guess, but war is terrible. But when you look at the, um, the revelation of what God is doing in the earth and he's saying, we need to understand why we're supporting Israel. Why would Harry S. Truman acknowledge, be the first person to acknowledge the creation of the Jewish state? He was raised and understood the importance of you. If you go study Harry S. Truman's life, he was raised, his, his family members, he was taught that Israel, and if you bless Israel, you will be blessed. 
Why is the United States, I don't know the numbers, but averaged, I think, $3 billion a year in support of them to support their armament, in defense of them? So, we well, said, so, well, is that justified? I think so. Let me help you. If, if they're your family, if you're with them and you're going to live with them forever, do you want them to be blessed? They should want you to be blessed. That's why when they come, we've met with them many, many times over both in Israel and here. We've had members of the Knesset come. We're friends and personal rabbi friends with many of them. When they come and they said, you're the only, the only ones who really support us are the born-again Christian believers. Europe has turned away. And so when, during the, one of the prior administrations, I won't go there, who was not pro-Israel, when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was the prime minister there, one of the Jewish friends came to be part of, they wanted to actually, I won't use his name either, but he came here and he wanted to uh, sell us some software, Bible Islands. And so he came, came with Neil and came with one of our pastor friends, David Decker, from Israel. They sat right here. And it was the first time they'd ever, this, he claims to be, a devout Jew, I believe he is. I believe he's a Christian, that's my thoughts. He's from the tribe of Judah. Yep. And he came, he had never been in a Christian church ever before. And David Decker had called Neil and called me and said, they've hired me, David Decker, he says, they've hired me to write the New Testament part of the software, help them with the software so they get the New Testament accurate. And my rabbi and I are writing the Old Testament. So we need you Gentiles to help us so we can sell this software to both Christians and Jews. Business people, Right. And so he said, we want to come to your church, and uh, I want you to know that uh, this man has never been in a Christian church before. You'll be the first, but I want to bring him here. I said, oh, okay. Well, I forgot that we had sent our youth to, to Brazil, and they were coming back, and I didn't write this date down that they were, the Jews were coming, the Jewish guy was coming, and the same day that our, that our youth got back from Brazil with the outpouring with Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, and I gave them the service. Um, that was the day that our Jewish friend was going to be here. And they called me Saturday night and said, hey, we're in town. We've just flew in from Israel. We'll be there in the morning. I said, oh, and uh, I'm like, I don't know about your buddy, but uh, he goes, oh, no, that'll be great. I said, okay, I'm not responsible. <laughs> so we come in, and they come into the prayer room, and we have the, we have the talik out. We have, and he's in, and he's taking pictures and he's sending it to his rabbi in Israel. Said these guys got more stuff in their church than we got in the in the temple. Said, okay, so they come in and they sit right here. This twelve-year-old boy who had been trained—if you know anything about youth power invasion in Brazil—the youth go out and they do everything. They preach, they pray, they lay hands on. They're trained for three days by by the big shots, and then they go out and they do it. And and it's to train them. Look, there's no little Holy Spirit. You get the same Holy Spirit that anybody, and you're it. So. They get here. Well, this 12-year-old boy gets up, and uh, he'd been preaching in Brazil, and he says, there's somebody here that you've had pain in your left shoulder. God says, if you'll raise your, your shoulder right now, you'll be healed. Well, our Jewish friend, who had been in a motorcycle accident, and yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Daisy, that's good. You can grab right on that, in Jesus' name. Um, our Jewish friend had been in a motorcycle accident in Tel Aviv, and he had broken his shoulder, and he had broken his kneecap area, had surgery. And he was complaining to our, our pastor friend on the flight over from Israel, I can't even raise my arm past this point. And he goes, so he looks over at Pastor David and, this, this, oh, I guess that's what you do in these Christian churches, right? Words go out and so Gil goes like, he raises his arm and it's healed. And, but he's like, oh, okay, that's what they do here. Praise God. I'm, you know. And so he's pretty excited. He gets up, he shares Bible Island. Um, he goes to like 30-some-odd churches in the, in all around the United States, and then he was to go back and meet with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Are the Christians still with us? Do they still support us? I want you to know, because they may be at business, but they're also doing other stuff, okay? And so, but it turns out, I think war breaks out with Lebanon. I, it was one of these places. I forget what the reason was. He doesn't meet with them. Six months later, they come back to the United States and they want to sell us part two of Bible Islands because they'd done an update. And they called me and said, uh, can we do that? I said, under one condition. He's got to get up and give his testimony about the healing that happened. 
So he says, okay, we'll do it. So we go through the service. Well, that morning we had just finished training our middle schoolers on being ministry team members. We'd finished like six or seven weeks of the children laying hands on, right? They did that. And so they were all so excited. There were like a dozen of them. We know how to pray for people. And I said, okay, awesome. You're going to be our ministry team today. And so one of our guys comes in and he was so excited. He'd been out in one of the thrift stores Saturday and this lady's in a wheelchair in the thrift store and he gets out to his car and the Holy Spirit says, so why didn't you pray for him? Why didn't you pray for that lady? Why'd you, why'd you walk by her? He goes, goes back in, tracks the woman down in the thrift store. She's up by the counter to checking out and he says, God wants to heal. And she gets out of the wheelchair and she's like, whoa, whoa. Pretty soon he's preaching to everybody, including the register lady, about God and his healing. So he's pumped. He comes in and he goes, Pastor Tommy, I can believe it. I pray for his knee. And it's like, and I know that this man has come here and his knee is not healed because he had called, he had called, I'd gotten word that his rabbi wanted to know and his wife wanted to know after he got back to Israel, how come God healed your shoulder but not your knee? He goes, I don't know, but I'm glad my shoulder's healed, right? I'll take it. And so, so, he, so I know, I think Jehovah Sneaky's up to something here. And so I said, yes, get up here, share your testimonies. He gets up, I was in the thrift store, blah, blah, and, right, okay. Now I said, we have a ministry team here of all these 9, 10, 11-year-olds. Come here. And it was like a dozen of them. I said, okay, you just heard the word, so we're going to operate in faith. Anybody here have any knee or joint issues? And I don't know, a bunch of hands went up, and his hand went up. And this little blonde pigtailed girl, nine, Anna Grace, Anna Grace, the charismata, the religious. Anyway, Anna was the one who revealed Jesus, was, knew, was waiting for Jesus in the temple. I just, I just think that's kind of cool. Anyway, so she goes over, and I asked them both as I interviewed them later, what did she say? He goes, it was something like, laid her hands on his knee and said, there's no pain in heaven, Jesus, take away the pain. And the pain leaves him. So now, again, no drama, no dancing. He's just like, okay, I'm healed again in this place by children, no big shots, just the Holy Ghost and children. And so, so he gets up, he's going to share about the Bible line, he's got to give a testimony about his shoulder, and he does this. That was so funny. <laughs> he says, okay, um, I've been healed twice. <laughs> so, and it's like, wow. So remember, one of the things that we know is that the Gentiles are to make them jealous. Right? We, we celebrate them because they were the word. They brought the word. They brought Jesus, right? They, were the, they brought it all for us. So when we celebrate these feasts and they're part of the family, we want the best for them. Okay, let's turn to Romans chapter 9. You doing okay? All right. In Romans chapter 9, we're going to unpack. Now, this is written by Paul. Now, Paul was trained of the best of them. Of all the things, you remember how he was a zealot. He was certainly um, just wanted to destroy the people of the way. And so, sure. We got people online, so I want them to hear it. Got healed in... So word of his healing got spread around in Israel. And Netanyahu, this guy is the, the guy that got healed, is an influential, wealthy guy. He's in software. You know, even here, software people make a lot of money. Bam. He's written books. So anyhow, Netanyahu knew him and said, well, I want to interview him or see what happened. And so he goes to Netanyahu and tells exactly the same story you did. And Netanyahu paces, he says, for about three or four minutes and then he says, will you, we're having a special meeting of all, nobody knows this, he said, but of all the military officers, like lieutenant and above. All IDF, yes. All of them. He said, will you tell them, because they need to know that the American church is standing with us and what you experienced in a Christian church in America and how they treated you and what happened. God. So yeah. this man goes to this little conference for just the leaders of the IDF and gives the testimony and gives God the glory. Amen. That's, isn't that something? How God, and uh, 
there's some of them we've been, you know, we've been there. I think Neil's been there how many times? 18 times? Yeah. And so um, oftentimes we'll ask, you know, our guides or those, so are you a believer in Christ? Because you can't ask me that. Which is, a, I think, code for I am, but okay. All right. You there? Romans 9? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pull out some things here, but I want us to see this. God's selection of Israel. Verse 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak utter truthfulness. Utter truthfulness. My conscience in the Holy Spirit confirms it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if I would save them. Wow. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite, as far as human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scripture says Isaac is the son through whom the descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God has promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God, and the message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was old. Your oldest son will serve the younger son. It's unfair. I love Jacob, and I rejected Esau. Are we saying that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will, sh- and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose nor it or work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Now, I'm just gonna stop there. I preached a few weeks ago about the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. And he, remember, he has full eternity to make up all the places. So just stay, stay settled here. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he t- makes them do? No, don't say that. For who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Remember, his ways are not our ways. They're fine beyond finding out. Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When the potter makes the jars of clay doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make a jar for decoration, another one to throw it in the garbage? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom God shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says this in prophecy of Hosea. Those who were not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then the place where they were told, you are not my people, they were to be called children of the living God. Now, stands of the seashore, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry 
out his sentence upon the earth quickly and final and finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. The Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a, f- a few of our children. We would not, we have been wiped out at Sodom just like he destroyed Gomorrah. Israel's unbelief. Verse 30. What does this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God? And was it by faith that this took place? But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God, keeping the law, never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting him. They stumbled over the great rock of their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So you see this, he's sovereign, he's God, he has this ability. So this idea of we're trying to figure out God and put and judge him for his justice or injustice, don't go there. It's not, it, trust me, it's not worth the trip. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. There's a comment there that we could learn on. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Hello? For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So you're right even if you're wrong. (laughs) Praise God. Because he said, I'm going to make you right because you believe in Jesus. There are things that we might get wrong some places. But the main thing is the main thing. It's Jesus and believe in him. Okay. Salvation's for everyone. I love this. Verse 5. For Moses writes in the law, the way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all his commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. And the message is, very, and is the very message about faith that we preach. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with mouth that you're saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Everyone who calls on, that's why how many times you're here today, just call on Jesus. If you're discouraged, you're down, call on Jesus. You're being attacked tonight, call on Jesus. You're afraid, you're, somebody's just call on Jesus. You're about ready to flip over in your car. Call on Jesus. Come on. I got testimonies of many of those that have said, you would not believe. I, I would. I do believe. So if you confess with your mouth, that's what he says. When they call to him, he saves them. Verse 14. He saves them unless they believe. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard him? How can they hear him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why we need to be sending church. That's why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes by hearing and hearing the God, the good news or the word of God so we, that's a famous verse, right? Faith, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's why if they can dumb this down, if they can get us to believe stuff that's not true, then they can get you off track and they'll destroy your faith. So that's why we got to hold to this word because faith comes by the good news. You got to saturate yourself with the good news. And once you get, what I'm really surprised is how many people don't know the word today. When I was growing up, we, we had Sunday school and they, we don't. The people don't go to Sunday school. They don't bring their kids to Sunday school. And so, so, so many don't know the word. They don't read the word. How much time do they spend on social media? You could ask, how many hours did you spend on social media this week? And how much time did you spend in the word this week? 
I'm telling you, if you don't know this word, then you can get deceived. You wait, but if you know the word, it's like, oh, no, no, that's not, that's not right. That ain't, that's not the Holy Spirit, right? He's the spirit of truth, but he's got to have the truth in us, right? He's there, the mind of Christ. So I just encourage you, get quiet, spend time, cultivate yourself, learn the word, read the word, study the word, do concept studies, and there's so much that is there, so you'll be enriched, I, I promise. Okay, let's read on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, see, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, even in the time of Moses, I will rouse your jealousy through people who have not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. We're foolish. Hallelujah. A later, and, and later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by a people who were not even looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. That's why you're a wild bunch, right? You're out there wild or like me, or you get to her, and all of a sudden, something happens, and he hits you in the head with a two-by-four like me, or you get to a place where I'm at the end of it. I'm done. Help, if you're there. I tell people who are struggling with God... There's a one prayer you can pray. God, if you're real, show me. Pray that prayer. If, if you're real, show me. And then buckle up, because he's going to show you, right? And so, I was found by a people not looking for me. I was found by those who were not even asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, verse 21, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. So now you got this thing. Did he harden their hearts? Did it make them jealous? Were they disobedient? I showed them. It's like there's this battle that's going on in the scriptures. But many of us, we know how long it took for us to get it. Verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. You guys okay? Oh, we're just, I'll tell you what. Um, let's, we're going we're gonna to end here. I want to pick up next week because I want to unpack the, the uh, second coming around the feasts. So Neil will be doing the breakfast the next two weeks in preparation. So come at 7.30. I know, I know it's early. It's like you got to, whoa, pastor, you're going to have us in church all day. Oh, okay. It's the day of, it's the, day of the Lord. <laughs> you know, I just heard that there are those that really um, are seeking after a 12-minute sermon. You're not going to probably get it here. All right. So I want to invite uh, John up, and uh, we're going to take communion this morning. But I want to share with you uh, as we close for communion, In the book my wife got, this is really good. It's called The Feasts of the Lord. And um, I just love the, the analogy that they give and the discussion they give on, around the whole communion. And I'm just going to read a little bit out of this for you. You remember in the scripture where it says, without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And there's those that, well, why did, why did that have to happen? Because if you know that the wages of sin is death. Death is by the shedding of blood. Justice, or just God, in order to fulfill that, a just God would require a death because sin brings death. So rather than have us go there, Jesus went. He became. Now here's where the deviation happens between Old Testament Judaism and even Judaism today. The, they, they were looking for the covering or the atonement. So what would happen in the priest, and you'll, we'll see that, Neil covered it today, in the, during the, the days of awe, the days of atonement, these 10 days that are of that period of time, if you were not right with God, you were not written in the Lamb's book of life. You're not written in the book of righteousness. You're, you're basically lost. If you are right with God and you've, you've made atonement, then you're, you're good for this year. You're in the book of righteousness. And then there's the in-between. And during the days of atonement, you have an opportunity to get right with God. So when you look at the timetable, with right, coming right up to the time of resurrection, we know right now as believers, Jesus, we're not looking for a covering of our sin. We're looking for the removal of our sin. 
Christ became sin for you and me. He became sin. So we're not looking at, well, Jesus covers my sin. No, that's Old Testament. Remember, they would have the sprinkling blood of the animals. The priests would, would do that. They'd go into the holy place, and they would sprinkle, and they would cover as a covering for the nation of Israel. You were still required as an individual in the time of atonement to come and reflect on your, what, what have I done? What is it that I'm off base? And, but it's not going to be by good works, and it's not going to be by what they call mitz, mitzvot good deeds by transferring guilt or substitute. So in the Hebrew scriptures, the conclusion of this, we know this from Hebrews chapter nine. There is no more any need for continual sacrifice. The perfect lamb of God, Jesus, made a way, went and became the sacrifice unto death that you and I might live. What a God. What a God we serve. And so I want us to take a few minutes because Paul warns this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that you need to judge yourself that you be not judged. If we casually run into the communion table and think that by some magic, if I take this thing, it just covers me for another till my neck, terribly wrong attitude. In fact, Paul addresses this. He says, because of their casual nature of this, some would come and they'd fill up on the bread or they would take the wine. They had lost a solemn understanding or had not gained a solemn understanding that this is the meal that heals. And he said, some of you, because of that, have become sick and have even died. And as we get closer and closer to the day of fulfillment, the door gets narrower to pass through. Now, once Jesus, who is the gateway, he's the doorway, he's the, the good shepherd. Once we're in, it's big, it's free. If I'm asking you to really search your heart right now. Um, if you've got somebody you're offended with, you're not allowed to keep that offense. Ephesians says, don't let the sun go down on your offense because it gives a doorway, a foothold to the devil. So to whatever's in your hands to forgive, today you might need to make a call to somebody. Or you maybe need to get aside with them before you leave the church and reconcile. You don't have to agree. You don't even have to really like them. You just got to love them. You don't have to go out to dinner with them. Right? There are people you put boundaries around. It's just like, yeah, I need the fruit of the Spirit because some people annoy you, but you know what? I still got to love them. And guess what? I annoy some people. And so, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Search our hearts, oh God. Search us right now. See if there be any unclean thing. If I've handled something unclean, I've stolen on my taxes, I've lied to my employer, I have modified invoices to get money from someone. I've hidden money under the table. I'm paying people under the table so I can avoid taxes. That's called stealing. If I lie about somebody, I gossip about somebody. I have hatred in my heart. I'm a racist. I'm a bigot. The Lord would say, I don't want any of that for you. It'll cost you. We want to be a people that are known for our love. The communion table is the beginning to start a revised thinking. Change the way I think. Let my behavior come in line with your truth. On the night of the betrayal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it even to Judas. He said, now I want you to take this and eat it. This is my body. And he took the cup and he said, I've got a new covenant in my blood that is going to be shed for you. Take and drink this 
And then remember me. Remember me. Remember what I did. Don't forget what I did. I love that song, John, and remembering. Mark played. Remembering. I'm here again remembering. The communion table is open. If we could form two lines down the center here and just peel off, uh, you can come down and serve yourself. If you have any... Um, some physical needs, you can come behind the table. 